you. Thanks, folks. Well, we, we know that uh, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we instantly have an enemy. We have an enemy, Satan. And uh, he uses um, people to, uh, to work against us. He attacks us directly, tempting us. We'll see today. Uh, we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and we, I've been mentioning almost every single passage that uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood. I've been sharing that because a lot of times it does come in the context of flesh and blood. But we need to see from Scripture uh, how we are to respond to opposition. So I felt led today to take a look at the passage that I've been referencing the entire time in the book of Nehemiah. And so would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6? And we're going to see how we can be victorious in our spiritual struggle. With that in mind, I want to share a little bit of the context of the book of Ephesians. And the ladies have been going through this, so this will be familiar to you. But we know that the Apostle Paul is writing the saints who are in Ephesus, uh, who are faithful in Christ. He also writes to, to the leaders and servants there. Now, Paul had visited Ephesus on his second missionary journey, uh, staying just a brief time. We see that in Acts 18. But then on his third missionary journey, we see he stayed for three years in Acts 19. He taught the word daily at the school of Tyrannus for two years, and his influence for Christ was so great that the Artemis idol makers incited a riot against him. Now, after leaving Ephesus, he ministered in Macedonia, and then on his way back to Jerusalem, he stopped in Miletus to speak to the Ephesian elders in a tearful farewell. It's here that would be his last personal contact with the Ephesians. And then about five years later, he wrote this letter while under house arrest in Rome uh, around 62, 63 AD, back to the Ephesians. And it said that this letter is to the Ephesians, but it's also said it was possibly a circular letter that was uh, brought around to the different churches there. Well, in the book of Ephesians so far, uh, we see, uh, first of all, in chapter 1, a panoply of praise to, to God uh, who, has get, who has granted us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We have everything, and those blessings are divided, he shares in chapter 1, into three areas. The blessings we have in the Father, uh, the tremendous, wonderful realities uh, that we have, the blessings in the Son, and the blessings in the Spirit. And because of these great blessings, all tied up in what God has done through Christ by his Spirit, uh, Paul prays for these Ephesians in chapter 1 that... Uh, that, that they would uh, have greater wisdom and knowledge and revelation in, in him, in Christ, resulting in knowing the hope of their calling, the incredible worth in Christ, and the surpassing greatness of God's power towards those who believe. And in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul reminds the Ephesian believers of their position in Christ by first sharing where they formerly were, where they formerly were. They were dead in their trespasses and sins, but now having been saved by God's grace, they're alive and have been seated with him in the heavenlies. These Gentiles who were far and the Jews who were near, uh, both needing salvation, were reconciled to God through Christ and from this, these Ephesians are now being built up as fellow citizens being built up upon Christ. Then in chapter 3, Paul shares his suffering for the gospel, that there was a purpose for it. 
There was a purpose for it. It was for their sake. And he revealed that great mystery that involved them concerning the church. And he prays wonderfully again for these Ephesian believers. Then in chapters 4 through 6, we have the application of such a great salvation. We see commands for a worthy walk to walk in love, to walk in humility, and thus in unity, uh, that God has uh, has so graciously given certain gifts to build us up in that way, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building of the body of Christ, till we attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature man. And as we were growing and maturing, we are to not be thinking like the unsaved, but renewing our minds with the truth that is in Jesus, putting on the new self. And we are to understand our identity in Christ, and thus we are to walk in love as children of light, making the most of our time for the days are evil. And then we had the command given, so then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, but that is dissipation, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled with the Spirit of God and how that looks, uh, singing, speaking, making melody, uh, thanking, submitting, And we see then how that applies to specific relationships in the latter portion of the book. Husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. And then for us, as we'll see today, our relationship to our enemy, the evil one. So with that in mind, how can we be victorious in our spiritual struggle? Because we're going to have attacks that come through people. We're going to have attacks that come through Satan's temptations. We're going to see that in Scripture. How How are we victorious? How do we overcome these things? Again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith by which you, which you are able to extinguish every flaming missile of the evil one, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit with this in view, and be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that the utterance may be given that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. We're going to see today that uh, there are a lot of things that mirror back in Nehemiah and the passage we would have looked at today. Uh, shows how Nehemiah encouraged them because God was with them because he's great and awesome to get to work, but as they get to work, to be holding their swords and defending themselves at the same time. And one of the things that we do as we get to work for the Lord Jesus Christ, serving him at home, serving him in our marriages, serving him at work, serving him in the body of Christ, is we don't realize we need to carry our sword at the same time. We are going to have opposition, and we're going to look at that. How do we defend ourselves, in a sense, against the onslaught of Satan's attacks towards us in the context of serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, spiritual warfare, what people call it, is really irrelevant if you don't know the Lord, because you are in the domain of darkness. You need to be saved. 
And if you've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, then we've been delivered from darkness. We've been delivered from that domain. We are now in a relationship with the living God, and he can't touch us. Uh, Satan can't touch us unless God allows it. Uh, we know that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We know, and you might remember, uh, when Jesus uh, responded to uh, Peter, when Peter was thinking man's thoughts, he said, get behind me, Satan. We're thinking man's thoughts, not God's. We can still be used by Satan, but yet he cannot uh, defeat us in a sense, ultimately, because Christ has defeated him. But with that in mind, we can get devoured. We can get devoured. First Peter chapter 5, Peter says, uh, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in the faith, which implies we as believers can temporarily be spiritually devoured by our enemy. And I think there's a lot of strewn wreckage along the way on the path of, of, the, of what God is doing uh, from those who did not obey God and allowed Satan to devour them. And may it not be us. May we heed the warnings. May we heed that and be aware and have our swords ready, in a sense, as we serve the Lord and not be naive to the battle that is going on around us. So then, let's remember, uh, and as before we get to this passage, I want to remind you all that it, it, it keys itself off of Ephesians chapter 5, where we are to not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. All these things we're going to see today cannot happen unless we are yielding to the Spirit of God, allowing God to work through us, uh, uh, submitting ourselves to Him. So then, we come to our passage here and also one other thing I want to remind you as we see in Nehemiah is that this passage about the armor is surrounded in the context of prayer. Uh, we, this is not done apart from dependence on the Lord, and we see prayer at the very end of what I read earlier. So how can we be victorious? You see, yes, we need to take certain actions. We need to be wise. There's things we need to do, biblically speaking, but we also need to understand uh, who our enemy is and how to respond properly. Verse uh, 10 of Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We have two commands here uh, for us as believers he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And then he says in verse 11, put on the armor of God. Be strong and put on the armor. Those are two clear commands. We're to be strong in the Lord. We're to put on the full armor of God. And, and, and what I want to do right now is look at the reasons why and then come back to these commands, what we are to do, what we are to do. Look down, it's on your outlines, point three, and we're going to look at that first. So what's the first reason? Why should we be strong? Why should we put on the form of God? Why are we to obey this? God is gracious. He doesn't need to tell us why we should do things. Parents, you've done that at times. You tell your child, uh, uh, do this, and they say, why? You say, you don't need to know. Just do it, right? We don't need to know because our God is good, and everything he tells us is good. But here, he explains to us why, and this helps us understand the seriousness of why we need to obey. You see, sometimes we don't gather the seriousness of obeying God's word and how important it is. And here, 
we're going to see that. Notice he says here, finally, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God. And notice what he says, so that you may be able to stand firm. Notice this is in the second half of verse 11. You may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. That you may be able, that you may be able the term uh, proston dunamai, uh, dunamai speaks of uh, power or strength, to have the strength or ability that you might have the strength or ability to accomplish what the context is here, and it is to stand firm against not the devil, but the schemes of the devil. We don't stand firm against Satan. Yes, we resist the devil and submit to God and he'll flee from us, right? But we stand firm against his schemes as we're going to see, as we're going to see. Notice this word stand firm. It's a, it's a battle term. If you knew Greek and you read it, you'd think, okay, this is holding a critical position in battle, standing there. You're staying there. You're not running away. You're not advancing forward. You're standing firm. You're holding your position. And it's that we would be able to stand firm here, hold that position against the schemes of the devil. And we got this stand firm all throughout our passage. The verb here, we have it in the middle of verse 11, that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes. Uh, the end of verse 13, having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm therefore. Pretty important. Pretty important because we as believers, we, instead of standing firm, we fall apart. We fall apart emotionally. We fall apart spiritually. Uh, we, we collapse. We collapse in the midst of the battle. And God is, that's not God's will for us. That is not God's will. We probably all experience those failures at times. It is not God's will. It is God's will in his commands here to stand, that we would stand firm. Stand firm, therefore holding that critical position in the battlefield. We have an enemy. We have an enemy, and that enemy is the Lord's enemy. In the parable of the tares, we see that, or the, 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 or we see that, uh, that the enemy is, is the, the devil. He is the Lord's enemy, and he is thus our enemy. And so here, we're to stand firm, but what are we to stand firm against? Notice again, it is against the schemes of the devil, or prostored, stand against, facing against those things, uh, facing against, so that we'd be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, although Satan, and we don't want to focus on him, by the way, we're, we're to focus on Christ, we're to set our minds on the things above, but God does share about our enemy, we need to focus at least the amount that God would share, so that we are aware and careful and we can obey his word, understanding why. He says here, stand firm against his schemes, his schemes. The term in Greek, methodia, speaks of his methods or procedures. You know, you go to a new job and they say, here's how we do things. Here's our methods. We do this, this, and this. Or here's the, here's the, here's the schemes, here's the method, here's the schematic, here's how it all works, right? Well, here it's in a negative light. It's his methods. It's his evil methods, so that we would stand firm against it, which means there's something more going on than just simply standing there. There's things that are, that are, that are wicked. There's schemes. There, there are things that can take us and, and trip us up. So we need to be careful. We need to understand it. 
It is his uh, cunning stratagems, his, uh, his to devour us and attack us and trick us and trick us. Now, before we look at his schemes directly, let's take a look at our enemy, just what Scripture reveals. Be reminded of that, because as I shared, as we go through Nehemiah, we're going to see how he deals with Satan through the physical realities, but ultimately he does the same thing we're going to do, which is to trust the Lord, as we're going to see. You know, he's going to trust the Lord, and that's going to defeat the enemies, because God is a great and awesome God, far above our enemies, which includes our ultimate enemy, Satan. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, Ezekiel 28. Now you have this, and this happens in scriptures at time where the inspired author will write about a human leader and his wickedness, and then in a sense morphs into the spiritual reality behind that leader. Now there are some who would say this isn't speaking about uh, Satan, it's speaking about the leader of Tyre. Well, no, they're wrong because later on he's going to say anointed cherub, but cherub is not a man, by the way. And so you can see that the text itself proves that it morphs from the leader of Tyre to the power behind him, the power behind him. And that's where we gain insight into the person of our enemy, Satan. Notice what he says here. Notice his sinless beginning. We need to realize this. You know, God did not create a sinful uh, Satan. He didn't do that. Uh, that's not what happened. Um, Ezekiel 28, verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. That's very interesting. And it implies that he was in Eden before he fell, by the way. It's very interesting. That, that throws a little monkey wrench in some of our timelines, by the way. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, and the lapis lazuli, and the turquoise, and the emerald. And the gold of the workmanship of your settings and sockets, or New King James, better translation, trimble and pipes, has to do with music, I believe that's a better translation there, was in you on the day that you were what? You were created. You were created. They were prepared. Satan is a created being. He is not uh, omnipresent. He is not omnipowerful. He is not God. Uh, he is a created being, and God created him initially perfect. Perfect in wisdom, beauty. He was in Eden. He had jewels that covered him. Now, if you're in a dark room and you have a bunch of diamonds in there, can you see how pretty they are? Not at all. It's only when light shines through the jewels that you see the beauty of it. And here he had jewels, and I believe he reflected God's glory. He was Lucifer, light bearer, okay? Well, that's what he was. He was created to praise God in song. And then notice his privileges. Look at verse 14 of Ezekiel 28. You were anointed. You were the anointed cherub who covers. That shows for sure this isn't speaking about the king of Tyre anymore. Anointed <coughs> cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were in the holy mountain of God. He walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Uh, you, he had these grand privileges. He was the anointed, the special one that covers. He was the anointed cherub who covers. He's a cherub. That's an angel. That's an angel, by the way. And he was on God's holy mountain. Had the grandest of privileges, we see here. 
But notice, although he was prated perfect and blameless through his own great pride, he sinned against the living God and was cast out for all to be appalled at him. Verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until up, uh, unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, and you, you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought... Uh, brought fire from the midst of you it has consumed you and i have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you all who know you by the way this is how do we know we only people who know him are believers know who he really is right all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you you have become terrified and you will be no more praise the lord right praise the lord um, and then notice in Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, verse 9. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of all the nations from their thrones. They, they will all respond and say to you, even you have been made weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp and the music of your harps has brought you down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. Now, it's thought that, first of all, it's speaking of the king of Babylon, the leader going in morphs into, morphs into uh, the one behind him. Verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven. There you go. That's not a, that's not a man. Uh, o star of the morning, that's a light bearer, uh, you son of the dawn, you have been cut down to earth, you have been weakened, you who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the most high, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. So we have our enemy who was initially created perfect, but he sinned. He sinned because of his splendor. He sinned because of his pride. And God cast him down, cast him down. And so we see that. And so we need to recognize that uh, Satan, having been the most beautiful, powerful angel, having fallen, now in scripture we see continually comes against God and his people. So we are to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Well, what are his schemes? Well, I think uh, God gives those clearly to us in his word. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 2.12 or 2.11, we are not ignorant of his schemes. He's going to talk about the lack, how he uses unforgiveness and sin. He's going to talk about that. But we're not ignorant of his schemes, plural, plural. Now, his names actually give us an idea how God has named him, in a sense, gives us an idea of his schemes. Take a look at uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Revelation 20. 
Revelation 20, verse 1, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. This is where, after Christ has come victoriously to earth, his second coming, Satan is bound for a thousand years. And it says a thousand years. That's where we get our term millennium. He's going to be bound. He's not bound now. He's not bound spiritually right now. He's prowling about like a roaring lion. He's going to be bound. And so here we see his names. Notice the names. Notice what we see here. We have, first of all, uh, he's called the dragon, right? I saw, and he says, he took laid hold of the dragon. This idea is a metaphoric description of a monstrous reptile. Think of it, just a monster, right? He's a monster in a sense. Second, we have the serpent of old. That's spoken metaphorically of his cunning, the cunning serpent, the snake, uh, referring to his wicked deception in, in the garden. In the garden, the serpent of old. He's the same one, same one, right? Third, he is called the devil uh, in Greek, diabolos. And now, not always can you divide words up and say this is what they mean, like uh, butterfly. Does that mean a piece of butter flying across? No. But uh, diabolos, dia through, bolos throw. He divides. He divides. That's what he is. He's the divides and separates. And lastly, the term Satan, which means adversary. Adversary. He is a constant enemy and adversary of the people of God. That's what his name means, and that's what he does. Now, along with his names revealing his methods, we also see that he is called the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. What helps us understand his, his schemes. Look in the Revelation 12, and if you're a believer now, we're going to be here at that time, up in heaven, having been raptured by, by the Lord, and we're going to be praising God and singing these songs and declaring his acts. We're going we're gonna to go. We, will we remember this day when we talked about it, when we looked at it at other times? Maybe, maybe not, but we will be there. Romans, Revelation chapter 7, excuse me, 12, Revelation 12. Um, and there was war in heaven. This is in the middle of the tribulation, by the way. Middle of the tribulation. There was war in heaven. Revelation 12:7. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. Amen. Isn't that great? And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives, there you go, the whole world. That's part of what he does. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels thrown down with him. Now, earlier in Revelation, it says that Satan fell, and, he, and, he, and metaphorically, he took with his tail a third of the stars. That's his first fall. But he evidently, like we see in Job, has access to heaven. We see him presenting themselves. The stars are presenting themselves before the Lord. And here, he's not no more access. He's thrown out for good, and he's furious. And that happens in the middle of the tribulation, by the way. Who deceives the whole world? And I and at verse verse ten, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for and we're going to be saying this, I believe, for the accuser of our brethren um, has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. You see, the heavenly scene is he's up there accusing us now, day and night. And now when we're up there, uh, we're going to be at the Lord, no more sin, and we're going to see that he's accusing our brethren down the world day and night. You see, he is the accuser of the brethren. And that's why we need to be firm. We need to understand, as we'll see later on, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
because we are righteous in Christ and there his, for his accusations do not hold or stick to us unless we allow them to fall, uh, sinfully by not believing what God has said. So then we have the accuser of our brethren. He's also called the tempter. We see, well, we see it in Zechariah chapter 3. He's the accuser also. Satan stood to accuse uh, uh, Joshua, the high priest, and the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Okay? He's the accuser of brethren. That's one of his tactics, one of his schemes. Notice also he's called the tempter in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 1. You can turn there. I'll read it for you, whatever you like. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. That's more of his schemes. Satan's going to come when you're vulnerable physically, by the way. Sick, hungry, whatever it might be, uh, tired. And the tempter came. Notice he says, and the tempter came. That's what Matthew, inspired by the Spirit, says. Came and said to you, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to be bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we have here the tempter. He's also, he's the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, and the tempter. And those are his names. They're very descriptive, very descriptive. And so here uh, we also see his, his wicked stratagems in Scripture based on his character. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we see this. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus speaking to the Jews who didn't believe, the Jews who needed to be set free by the Son, and if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. They needed to be set free. And Jesus says to them in John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil. He's their spiritual father. Uh, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks in his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. And we see in Scripture that he not always shares complete lies. He shares bits of truth with lies, which makes it a lie. He is a liar by nature, and he is a murderer. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, reveals that he has the power of death. That is the devil. He had the power of death in that, in his wickedness, he could declare what God declared, that the wages of sin is death. And when someone did not receive the free gift of salvation through Christ, he could declare he had the power of death over those who had not been set free from death by Jesus Christ yet. And we know, uh, we see that, we see his, his, uh, his, his uh, um, actions uh, reveal his motives. He is uh, not only a liar and a murderer, but he's also, Matthew 13, the Lord's enemy. And he's our enemy. He's our enemy. Now, we also reveal, he all, Scripture also reveals that he's a, he's a disguiser. He disguises himself. He, he doesn't come with the horns and the, and the pitchfork, and, and he comes in disguise. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 Speaking of the false apostles, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, or workers of deceit, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, don't marvel, that's really what it says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He disguises himself. That's one of his schemes. 
Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. We'll see Tobiah. He's a disguiser in our look at Nehemiah. He's, he's actually, we're going to see in the passage we almost looked at today, uh, he's out uh, mixing it up with the, with the men of Judah. And evidently that gets back and they start to naysay a little bit, you know. You see, he's one of those guys that mixes in and does things under the radar. Not so much under the radar here, as we'll see, but he's an evil man disguising himself. So what do we know about this? We know that uh, the reality is that we have an enemy, and his schemes are not that which we cannot understand or know. They are revealed in Scripture uh, we know that he prowls about like a roaring lion. We know that First Peter chapter uh, 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in the faith. He prowls about to devour somebody. We see that. He's looking for an easy mark. You know, if you look at uh, those animal shows on TV in Africa, whatever it might be, you see the, 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 the animals that are the easy marks not realizing they're in danger, kind of straggling behind, and all of a sudden there's a lion coming up, you know, ready to, to get them. They're an easy mark. He's looking for an easy mark as a Christian, one who is, who is not sober spirit, who is not on the alert. He's looking for that. He's looking for that. We also know from Eve's example in Genesis uh, that the tempter uh, used deception. He was more crafty than the uh, than the other. We see in uh, in Genesis chapter three verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than the, any other beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Genesis three one. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden. He's trying to deceive her, and he's going to go on later on, as you see in Genesis chapter three, to make her feel as though in his temptation that her judgment is as good as God's. God said, don't do it, but Satan said, you won't surely die. You'll, you'll, sh- you'll surely die not. And the reality is he's trying to tempt her to lean on her own understanding, to trust her own judgment. Genesis 3.2, And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or t- touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You're missing out, Eve. You're missing out. And God knows that. He's holding back from you. But that's a lie. That's a lie. You see, the process of temptation begins with the invitation for us to trust in our own wisdom and understanding rather than what God has clearly declared but God has clearly declared. You see, God doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't tempt us at all. We see that in James chapter 1. Uh, but yet we see that our own wisdom, it is James chapter 3, earthly, natural, and demonic. We should not trust in ourselves, but the God who, ra- who, who, who raises the dead. We are told in Proverbs chapter 3 that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Uh, and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We need to believe what God said, and we need to obey what God said, and we will see, as we will see, we'll be protected from our enemy, Satan. You see, because he tempts us to lean on our own understanding, to believe uh, things from a human perspective rather than from God's 
perspective. And we are vulnerable at times if we are not diligent and vigilant and on the alert. Like we'll see these guys working in the wall. They've got sword in one hand and they got their trowel in the other. They're holding stuff. They're, they're vigilant. they got an enemy. They're realizing that, okay? We need to realize that as we do God's work. Now, one other major way that Satan uh, does things is he capitalizes on our sin. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we know from Ephesians 4, we're to be angry, but sin not. We're not to let the sun go down in our anger, lest we give Satan a place. How many believers have given Satan a place? And it's an ugly, evil place, by the way. If you've ever seen a believer that's given Satan a place uh, in their heart, it's ugly, it's evil, it's destructive. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, we know that when we're worldly, when we are uh, in the context of seeking our desires, which causes conflict, uh, when we are friends with the world, it's adultery towards God. Therefore, we need to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. We need to uh, submit to God and resist the devil. He will flee from us. We need to confess and mourn over our sin in, in the context of humility. I mentioned this earlier. We also saw in Second Corinthians chapter 2, that uh, he takes advantage of when we are unloving and unforgiving. Uh, we're not ignorant of his schemes. We don't want, and Paul says, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan. That means, as believers, Satan can take a temporal advantage of us if we are unforgiving. If we are unforgiving. Don't do it. Don't do it. So then, uh, how then can we... Uh, be victorious over such a powerful foe who has so many different methods and so many different things that he can do. How can we be victorious over this? Well, we're going to see that uh, it's only because the Lord God uh, strengthens us. But before that, the, the Lord God wants us to understand something else. Another reason why we're to stand firm, a reason why we are to resist him God's way rather than man's way. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Back to our passage, uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the form of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then notice this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's people. That's people. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wow. The term people seem kind of easy. Here, we sounds like we got a whole network of, of enemies in the spiritual sphere. And yes, we do, all led by Satan, okay? But it's in the spiritual sphere. It's in the spiritual sphere. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And actually, you could translate this word here uh, rather than for. It's probably better translated because here. It's the Greek word hadi. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's why we should uh, uh, be strong in the Lord. That's why we should put on the former. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against, you know, the, the Muslims, the dead denominations, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, uh, the Pope. It's not against the, 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 the progressive Democrats or the rhino Republicans. It's not against mankind. It's not against those who sneak in unnoticed and bring a doctrines of demons, whatever it might be. Our struggle is not against those people directly. Directly. You see, Satan uses people to bring about his, his will, but that's not the people he uses is not who we're struggling against. 
And that's why we don't fight as if we're fighting against them. We need to fight uh, fighting, as we'll see, standing firm against him. We already saw earlier that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's not surprising his servants do the same. We recognize that. He's got servants, false guys, bad guys. We know that he's the ruler of this world, and Jesus shared in John 15 that the world's going to hate us because it hated him. I've shared this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul understands clearly our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but he is aware and how it comes forth, and therefore we need prayer to be protected from it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us, Paul says, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did with you also, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. There you go. He's trusting the Lord. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. From the evil one. That's where it's ultimately coming from. That's where it's coming from. You see here, uh, we have the reality that although Satan is our enemy, it does come through his, does come through uh, his uh, minions, those who are held captive, as Timothy would, Paul would say to Timothy, to do his will. Those who have not been saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Those who have given Satan a place, uh, whatever it might be. First Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, For we wanted to come to you, yet I more, more than once, yet Satan thwarted us. He thwarted them through people. He thwarted them through people. Yet that's not our enemy. In chapter First uh, Thessalonians chapter three, uh, we see that Paul was concerned for the faith of these Thessalonians. He was concerned that God would have that not God, but Satan would have gotten to them through people persecuting them. Let me read this to you. First Thessalonians chapter three. For indeed, when we were with you, verse four, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. That's the important part. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But Timothy has now come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and your love and that you're always thinking kindly of us. So then, the face of our struggle against Satan often comes in the context of men and men and women, right? But also, hey, we can get tempted really easily on our own with no one around, right? I mean, I think more often than not, it's those temptations that come across our minds. We, we give way to worldly thoughts. We have temptations. We are to resist the devil. God says no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man. But uh, God is faithful to provide a way of escape that we might endure it. Remember, Satan is the tempter. Is a tempter, and if he is going to tempt Jesus, he's going to tempt his people, right? He's going to do that also. So then, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but notice who it's against back in our passage, verse 12. Against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Man, that's a, that's a group of bad, bad, bad evil things, right? Bad evil, evil uh, spiritual uh, dudes, right? Our struggle is against the rulers. It's against the powers. It's against the world forces of this darkness, right? Yet, remember, greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. 
God is greater. Christ is greater than all these forces, all these wicked uh, 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 orders. And, 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 I, and I'm not going to go through and talk about the demonic classifications here, but Christ is far above these things. Christ is far above. You see, Satan is crafty, and he is deceptive, and he has a whole group of his minions working out his will, even using mankind also. And here, as we see, they are wicked and they are powerful. We have no strength against them in our own. We have no strength. Therefore, we must be strong in the Lord. So then, with that in mind, we need to understand where Christ is in reference to these forces. Earlier in chapter 1 of Ephesians, he is far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion among every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. Christ is far above. That's why we need to be strong in Christ. He is far above Satan and his minions who are behind those who would be attacking us, behind the attacks. And we know that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who brought about Satan's doom as prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. Let me read this for you, Genesis 3, verse 14. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. The Lord Jesus, Eve's seed, would bring the blow that would destroy Satan. And although Satan would bruise him on the heel, God would use the, the, the cross to bring about Satan's defeat, as Christ Jesus defeated death and sin on the cross. We know that through the death of Christ, Satan's doom was sealed. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. And you see, we need to know how great and awesome our God is, and we need to remember that. And that's what Nehemiah kept reminding them, how great and awesome their God was, because our enemy is pretty, pretty big enemy. But we can stand firm in Christ uh, if we choose to do so. God commands us to do so. And if we trust him, we will stand firm. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions. Amen. Uh, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which were hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. The cross brought Satan's defeat. He triumphed over Satan and his minions on the cross. They are defeated. First John 3.8, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And folks, God makes it really clear the future for Satan and his uh, minions. It's very clear. Uh, Matthew 25:41. Then he will say to those in his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, folks. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And to encourage the Romans, uh, Paul says this. 
He says in Romans 16:19, for the report of your obedience has reached all their farm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's a defeated foe. He has a short leash. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And yet we are vulnerable to his attacks if we do not, as we will see, become firm in Christ, stand firm in him by trusting in him completely. So then, we have an enemy ultimately defeated, yet doesn't let up. He's scheming all the time. We have a struggle, a spiritual struggle. And sometimes we just forget that and we just let these bombs fly across our bow. We let the, the, the thoughts just cruise right through our minds. Uh, we need to be on the alert. We need to be watchful. So how can we stand against such a powerful foe? Well, back to what we saw in the beginning. We must find our strength in the Lord. We must find our strength in the Lord. Finally, verse 10, chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. First, we must be in the Lord. You've got to be a believer. If you haven't been delivered from darkness, you have no, uh, no ability to stand firm because you are in the domain of darkness. You're in Satan's domain. But God is gracious. If you turn to Christ and you trust in him for forgiveness of sins, you'll be delivered from that domain into the kingdom of his beloved son. You need to be in Christ. So here he says, first of all, finally be strong in the Lord. The term finally here speaks of as to the rest. Be strong, Lord. be continually strengthened in the Lord. Let the Lord strengthen you all the time. The, the verb is in a it's in a passive voice. It means that we are a recipient of the action. We are not strengthening ourselves in the Lord. We are allowing Him to strengthen us. Be strong in the Lord. Uh, be strong in the Lord. Continually allow yourself to be strengthened in the Lord. In, in dunamo. Uh, to be given the ability to, to be strong. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 talks about that. Um, says here, uh, I can do all things through Christ who endunamos me. He strengthens me. First Timothy 1.12, I thank Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me. Strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, Paul writes. We are to be strong in the Lord, continually allow him to strengthen you. He says here in the Lord, and the strength of his might, the kratos, inherent power and might, inherent power and, and outward manifestation is the first word, and inherent power, the strength of his might. And notice how Paul speaks about this strength working in us. Turn back to chapter 3 of uh, Ephesians for a moment. And this is where we need the strength. Philippians 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That's what we need to be. Our inner man strengthened. We need to be strengthened in the Lord continually allow yourself to be strengthened. Well, how do I do that? How do I do that? I recognize 
that apart from him I can do nothing. I recognize and trust in him for my strength. The Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust in him. I rely on him. We saw this earlier, uh, to be on the alert for our adversary. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in the faith. I allow God's word to, to permeate my heart, and I trust in the God of the word, and I am strengthened. I believe what he has said. We see this with Nehemiah. He believed that God was awesome and great, and that he would, as we'll see, fight for us. He believed that. The battle is the Lord's. We heard that song earlier. I believe it. I trust him and I rely on him. And we recognize that when we are weak, then he is strong. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Paul is uh, wanting this, this thorn to be removed. He prayed three times and this is the answer. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient. For power is perfected in weakness. Be strong in the Lord. That means I'm going to give it over to him. I'm not adequate, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe what you said. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm not going to think and try to get through this with my own wisdom. I'm going to trust you. That's how we're strong in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We see his power is perfected in weakness. We're not adequate to consider anything that's coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So how am I strengthened in the Lord? I'm relying on him. I'm resting in him. I'm trusting in him. I'm believing what he has said. I trust in the Lord with all my heart. You see, God is a good God. He is a good God and he desires us to rely on him to trust in his son, Jesus. And when Jesus is relied upon, God is exalted. He is uh, glorified. You see, apart from trusting in Christ, we're going to fail. We see later on the shield of faith extinguishes every fiery missile. Everything aimed at you will be extinguished if you trust the Lord. You trust the Lord. Believe what he has said. So we have a serious battle on our mind. On our, a serious battle. It's in the minds, as we'll see, but a serious battle. And we need to, first of all, allow ourselves to be strengthened. We need to get our strength from the Lord alone. Trust in him. And then notice, we need to clothe our hearts and minds with this truth as we finish up here. You, yes, you can trust the Lord. I think there's people who say they trust the Lord, but they have no idea what he said. They have no idea how his word applies to their circumstances. And they get tossed to and fro or whatever it might be. But not only do we trust in the Lord, we believe specifically what he has said, and we apply his word rightly. We clothe ourselves with his truth. Uh, verse 10, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God. The battle is for our thoughts. It's for our thoughts. That's where the battle rages. Even where we see these guys attacking from the outside and, and, and sharing uh, slanderous things and Nehemiah, the battle's still in the thoughts. It's still whether you trust the Lord or not, or whether you will yield and, and give up, whether you'll yield and, and become self-focused or self-pity, whatever it might be, rather than trusting the Lord. You see, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse Three, the Apostle Paul, in responding to the uh, Corinthians uh, uh, who had bought into the lies of the false teachers concerning Paul, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 
We do not war according to the flesh. For our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, I find it amazing the people that have them are most messed up in their walk with Christ. They got thoughts going everywhere, and they did. there's nothing's held captive. They allow all this stuff to come in. They never take God's word and say, "No, that's not true." They don't allow God's word to 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 contradict those false thoughts and to confront those. The battle's in the mind, and we need to believe what God says, and we need to uh, strengthen ourselves with His power. But we need to believe what he has said, and put on, as we will see, the full armor of God. And the full armor of God is, as we're going to see, what God's truth, it's God's truth concerning us in Christ. We don't have enough time to study this. Uh, we'll get to it maybe some other time, but let's just take a look at this full armor here, okay? And just briefly go through it, and I want to make a couple points. I'm not going to talk about every element, but I think we'll gain understanding what it means. Chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, do you tattoo? Because we're in a spiritual battle, we have a foe. Uh, therefore, take up the form of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. He says here, uh, stand firm, therefore, what? Uh, and there's three participles here. Having girded, verse 14. End of 14, having put on. Uh, verse 15, having shod. They're all past participles. It's something that's already done, uh, but it still affects you. It's already done. Stand firm, having had these things already happen. The first three have, are already done. So he says here, having girded your loins with, first of all, having girded your loins with what? Truth, right? It's foundational. Paul's probably sitting next to a Roman soldier looking at the way he's dressed, thinking this is, and it's probably the spirit's a good metaphor for how we, we, we clothe ourselves with that which protects us from attacks. Girding your loins with truth. We saw that truth is foundational back earlier. The truth is in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Jesus said in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. Sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth, right? Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, 119, the sum of thy word is truth. The sum of thy word is truth. Continually renew your mind with the truth. Confront the air that you're tempted with, with the truth. Put on the full armor of God. You got the truth. Gird yourself with it. You already got it, right? Gird yourself with it. Then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's the, the gift that we walk in. It's God's righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Remember, in Christ you are righteous. As Satan accuses you, you recognize, like we see in 1 John 2, uh, uh, that these things have been written that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We are righteous because of Christ. Because of Christ. And then he talks about having shod, it's already done, your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's the result of the gospel. We live in the context of peace. We walk in the context of peace that was brought through the gospel. We have peace with God. And we are those with, the, with beautiful feet that bring that gospel truth 
uh, to others. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. <coughs> so renew your mind with the things that have already happened. His truth, his righteousness. Your, your, everything is centered around his truth. It gathers everything together. His righteousness, protect your heart and walk in the context of peace with God. And then notice what he says here. In addition to the taking up, addition to all, now do this actively. Taking up, present, uh, continually, habitually, the shield of faith. Pick it up and believe what God said, right? Believe what he said and it will extinguish every fiery missile. You believe what God says and Satan cannot get to you. All his attacks, they're extinguished. They're extinguished. Take up the helmet of salvation. Guard your, your mind and your heart with the hope of salvation you have. What do we have? We have a tremendous, the hope of our calling, this tremendous truth. Focus on that in your heart and mind. And then lastly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We are carrying our swords. We are allowing God's Word to permeate our hearts. We're believing it continually. We're applying His Word, and this is all in the context of prayer. Put on the full armor of God. You know, when's the last time you went to the grocery store with just uh, with just your, your pants on? We get dressed. We put on the form of God. Recognize the truth of what God has done. Don't leave yourself vulnerable. Have God's word ready in your heart. Uh, believe what he has said. Protect your mind with the truth. Remember what God has said. Listen to what Paul says to the Romans in Romans chapter 13. He says, and do this, knowing the time is already the hour for you to be awakened from sleep, for salvation is nearer than when we believed. The night is almost gone, the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing in drunkenness, not sexual promiscuity, or sensuality, not in strife or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Put on these truths. Clothe yourself with Christ. Believe what he said. Satan can't get to you. Be strengthened in the Lord. And the strength of might. Yes, he'll shoot you. He'll, you'll go through trouble. But he cannot take you down. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. This is how we defend against those, the onslaught of the physical realities of those coming at us whether it's through their words or whether it's physically, and through Satan attacking us and tempting us in our minds. And those temptations come from all around, right? All around. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Renew your mind with his truth. With his truth. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember how Jesus responded to the temptation. It is written. It is written. It is written. So how can we be victorious in this intense spiritual struggle? First of all, remember we're in a struggle against a a very uh, formidable foe, uh, Satan and his minions. Right? We're not. It's not against flesh and blood. Therefore, we need to be continually strengthened in the Lord. Allow yourself to be strong in Him. And lastly, we must clothe ourselves with His truth and believe it. Believe it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder and forgive us for the times that we have failed 
where we have not been strengthened in, in you, when we've not allowed your word to permeate our hearts, when we've uh, failed, Lord, forgive us. And Lord, thank you that you desire that we do stand firm, and it's your your desire that we obey your command and put on the full armor of God. I pray for anyone here who realizes that they don't even know you, Lord God, that uh, this doesn't even make sense, what I'm saying. I pray that you might convict their hearts of their sin and that they might turn and believe and trust in your son, Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who know you, may we not be those who fall to Satan's schemes. May we be strong in you. May we put on the full armor that we would be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We stand in that evil day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could sing, I need the area.